about fly fishing internet radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Mays, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Doug Gibson, and he'll be answering your questions on fighting on uh, the Henry's Fork River. Um, and truly a, a half century of fly fishing on that river with Doug. Uh, the show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Doug a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. You'll see a form on the right column of our web page, and just fill in your name, email address, and, uh, and submit that. We'll keep you informed. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group Inc. doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be sold or distributed in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Doug Gibson about the Henry's Fork. Baja Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams. And just so there's no mistake, they derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore, they can match your expectations with your experience in coaching. A vacation with Baja Fly Fishing is more than a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its back roads, kayaking its shoreline, surfing and snorkeling while pioneering the fly fishing techniques that have evolved into the tactics used today. They are well-versed in fly fishing the beach, in kayaks, on pongos, and are well-versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of roosterfish, dorado, marlin, sailfish, wahoo, jack creval, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website at bajaflyfish.com. That's bajaflyfish.com. Before we introduce Doug, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Doug's section that says, click here to register for our drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a book of your choice from a selection of books from Stackpole Books. Now, here's how you can win uh, one of these books. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question, or it could be a two-part question, will be about something we, uh, Doug and I talk about during the show. So you must submit your answer along with your name and location on the text box on our homepage, and uh, use your best typing skills and take notes, and maybe you'll win uh, one of these uh, great books from Stackpole Books. Our guest tonight is Doug Gibson. Doug has been fishing for over 56 years. He started guiding in 1972 and has done over 4,000 trips. Uh, he was instrumental in starting the guide program at Three Rivers Ranch when it began in 1974. A true gentleman, his expertise and experience are not only admired by his guests and peers, but also recognized by Orvis when he received the Orvis Guide of the Year and Orvis Lifetime Achievement Awards. Uh, having spent his entire life in eastern Idaho area, Doug possesses a comprehensive knowledge of the region's rivers and streams, flora, fauna, mountain ranges, and history. 
His love of fishing has taken him to many other parts of the world, including Massachusetts, Missouri, Florida, Bahamas, Canada, Chile, and the upper northwest. Over his fly tying career, he takes credit for inventing 10 to 15 patterns, but as humble as Doug is, we know it's way more than that. The most popular patterns are his dragonfly damsel light variant or one of his hopper patterns. His attention to detail, gift of gab, and extraordinary ability to know where the fish are have all contributed to clients return to fish with them at Three Rivers Ranch year after year. In fact, Doug has clients that have been fishing with him for over 40 years, many clients' children and even grandchildren. If he doesn't know precisely why he got started in, in his career as a fly fishing guy, he knows why he does it. It's to make a person stay better. He says as long as they're having a great time, that's what counts. His advice to the, any beginning guide, you need to treat someone like you want to be treated. Doug was born in Newdale, Idaho, and still resides there with his wife, Sandra, and he guides a few days a week on the Henry's Fork for the Three Rivers Ranch, and he continues to be an inspiration, mentor, cowboy, good old boy, and fishing buddy for all that know him. Well, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, Doug. Well, that was a pretty good introduction. I don't know whether I'm all of that or not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably all of that and more, from what yeah. I understand. <laughs> so uh, well, we're going to make you live up to it. Uh, tonight, okay. Doug, because we're going to kind of pick your brain on that Henry's Fork, which um, I actually, uh, when when my father and I and my son went up to pick up our drift boat at Hyde and Idaho mm -hmm. Falls, we did our maiden voyage on the Henry's Fork with our drift boat. So, and um, we still have that drift boat in the family. So, the, the Henry's Fork has a special place in my memory. Um, so, that's a, a, a nice memory for me to have. Yeah, um, we're. What section did you float? Uh, I can't remember now, but I'll probably remember after we talk about it tonight. All right. <laughs> it was just below a diversion dam, I remember that. Um, because yeah. while we were putting in the boat, some kid, probably a 14, 15-year-old kid, had, uh, uh, I don't know if it was bait or something, that he weighted down and put that at the base of that diversion dam and pulled out a 28-inch brown uh, below that diversion dam. So yeah, That's um, a Chester dam. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, we go, okay, there's fish in this river. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he was pretty excited, too. But um, So we have people from around the world, and not everybody knows uh, where the Henry's Fork is. So could you give us a little geography lesson as to where it is? Um, yeah, it's, it, it's in southeastern Idaho between the Manan Buttes and Big Springs. Uh, Big Springs is the headwaters of the... Uh, Henry's Fork, it comes out of the ground at 200 CFS uh, at the spring, and uh, then it continues down to pick up the Henry's Lake Outlet. That's the beginning of the Henry's Fork, and it ends where it uh, goes into the regular Snake River at Manan Butte. Uh, then, it, then it becomes just the snake. Okay, okay. And... Um do you know why it's called the Henry's Fork? Uh, there, was a, there was a captain, uh, Henry, at Fort Henry, and that name stuck to the river. Um, it okay. was a, actually a fort. A fort in, in Idaho? Yeah. In, 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 yeah it was, actually, the fort, is, fort was uh, around St. Anthony area. Okay. So it's actually the the Henry's Fork of the Snake River. Is that the it is? It's name? actually the North Fork of the Snake is the Henry's Fork. Okay, but everybody calls it the Henry's Fork, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, Martin Coleman uh, asked a question, and he said, asked, uh, what should someone coming to Henry's Fork know about it for their first time? What are the best things about this stretch of water other than the fish? Well, he needs to know uh, where, where some of the stuff is on the Henry's Fork. It's not all uh, a pathway meadow stream. It has three waterfalls uh, on it, and uh, then it goes into private land, and the access there becomes to the uh, bridges and boat ramps. Uh, unless you can get permission to get on, it's, it's private property from there almost all the way down to the confluence. And uh, he needs to know what he wants to do, whether he wants to float. And I recommend if he decides to float anywhere, he does it once with a guide. And then he at least knows where the put-ins and the takeouts are and what the obstructions are in between. We have several uh, diversion dams for irrigation canals, and you could get in real trouble if, if you didn't find all that information out. That is is available. Uh, the maps are available of the Henry's Fork, but still uh, they need to go with, with someone with hands-on experience to keep uh, out of trouble, uh, especially at the slides putting in at the waterfalls and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, every, yeah. Everybody needs to be safe. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, we've got different sections, um, and I'm looking at... Uh, you said you thought I'd put in below, what was Chester it? Chester Dam. Chester, Chester Reservoir, yeah. It, it was like a 20-foot uh, high dam, mm -hmm. like a diversion dam. That's okay. Um, and is that, uh, oh, down way down there. Okay, I'm looking at a map now. And then we yeah, floated. It's, it's, it's down. And if you wanted to start on the Henry's Fork above, uh, then uh, it's a real scenic place, especially where, uh, the, the springs is Johnny Sachs cabins there. It was all done by uh, broad axe and hand saw. Uh, uh -huh. It's there. It's there at position. And then you drive on down. You cross 20 at Max Inn. Uh, the access in there on the river south or downstream, it'd be the river left, is all private, and and as well as uh, the North Fork Club and all that's in there. So your first okay, public so access. Yeah. So up above, you're talking about uh, kind of above Island Park there, right? Uh, yes, start above the reservoir. Now, is that um, the Island Park Reservoir, right? So mm -hmm. that section up there is floatable and accessible? It's floatable to max in, and then it goes down through Coffee Pot Rapids into the reservoir, so you can't really do that. So you take out there at uh, Yeah, Madison. and so the, the first access below there is Box Canyon, and there is a boat ramp there just below the dam. Okay, okay. And then you can float from uh, Box Canyon on down to... Yeah, that that's a little on the technical side. It, it okay. has a bunch of rapids and rock in it, and uh, you take out it at uh, last chance. At it's last a four, chance. about a four-mile float. Uh, oh, I last chance. Okay, I got it, got it, yeah. So when you say technical, can, I, can you go through there with a the drift boat, a hard boat, or yeah, a yes. raft? Yes, we, we do it all, yeah. but it's it's real rocky, so it, it needs some, some rowing experience in there. Yeah, you got to pay attention, otherwise you got a little right, dent absolutely. in the boat. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so not, not for uh, 
for your first time without a guide, obviously. And uh, uh, you uh, could probably do that if you're, you know, if you're know anything about rowing at all. You can stay away yeah. from the rock. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then, so last chance is another put in and a takeout. The last chance is a takeout and a put in, and and that's that float goes through the railroad ranch, and it has to be done after the 15th of June because of the ranch itself, the Herman State Park is a bird refuge, and they don't allow oh. fishing or any anything in there until the 15th of June. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Um, and when you say, now in some of these areas, are we floating through private land yet, or is that for the um, Yeah, the, the banks are owned by, you have the high water line on all streams and all navigable streams in Idaho, but you can't get on private property to access the stream. Okay, so it's like Montana's laws. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's good. <laughs> so at least you can put your feet in the water and uh, put out an anchor if you need to and so forth. Yeah, there's plenty of accesses to get where you need to be, but also you need to, to understand that some of that is really hard wading and some of it's pretty easy. Okay. So uh, the railroad ranch itself, the whole thing is is probably the, the best weightable part of the entire stream. Okay, okay. But do, do you have to get to it by boat, or can you get access to it from? No, there's the access. Boat? There's access to that that whole area, even in into the state park. It's a three dollar entrance fee uh, for okay. the day, and, and yeah, there's all kinds of access there. Well, I know we have some other questions coming up about waiting and, and floating, so um, okay. um, we'll kind of cover those as we go here. Okay, so through Harriman State Park, uh, and then when's, when's the next takeout? Would that the next takeout would be the Osborne Bridge? The trying to find it's on Highway 20. There's there's a Highway 20 bridge and the old uh, Osborne Bridge, and the old okay. Osborne Bridge that's the beginning of the lower part of the Harriman State Park as well. And and that's that above Ashton still? Yeah. Yes, way above. Okay. Okay. Thirteen. I see Riverside Campground further south. Riverside Campground is the next takeout from Oh, okay. Bridge. Oh, yeah. okay. 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 So I'm, I'm going too fast then, down River. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The, the next takeout is, is Hatchery Ford, and that water between Riverside Campground and Hatchery Ford is kayak experienced people. We lost a lady in there last week and uh, uh, rescued one other one. Uh, it's very, very technical. It has a lot of rock in it. It takes a lot of rolling. You never get off the oars. Uh, we do it with rafts, uh, self-bailing self rafts. We don't do hard boats in there anymore. We used to, but we got a lot smarter, and uh, mm -hmm. we don't do that anymore. So uh, it's a very, very technical Part of the Henry's Fork. So that's from Riverside down to Hatchery, Hatchery Fort. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I know about that. I, I floated the Gunnison River here in Colorado, and that is one of those that you're never yeah. off the oars. I mean, you have to be. You can forget about you know taking a, yeah. any kind of a, a daydream. <laughs> yeah, most, <laughs> especially most people, when it's your boat. <laughs> most people yeah. don't have arms enough. To, to do that section. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You have to pull over and rest and anchor up somewhere and, and to get on through it. It's pretty technical. 
But but it's good fishing in there. It is good fishing, and especially during the salmon fly and the golden hatch in there, it's it's awesome. But you know, every year it it just eats more than one or two boats. So really, uh, yeah, it's very it's a very rough piece of water. It's accessible through uh, to wade fish. It's accessible through Seven Hundred Road and and the Hatchery Ford Road. And is it uh, is it Sounds like it might be difficult to wade, though. It is, yes. Okay. It's, it's deep, fast. It's fast running water in that area. Okay. And then what do we have below? Uh, below Hatchery Ford, you yeah. have Sheep Falls, first mm-hmm. of all, and nobody floats that section. Okay. And then, and then you have Mesa Falls, which is 109 feet high. And then, about a mile further down, you have. Uh, lower Mesa Falls, which is 48 feet high. Okay, and so we're not going to be floating any of that section. <laughs> none. Like yeah. Okay. If we say if somebody wants to fish water who nobody has ever fished, it's the first 10 feet above Mesa Falls. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Then and from there on, there's a river slide for or 1,500 feet vertical feet in into the river there, and uh, it goes to Stone Reservoir or Stone uh, Takeout. It's below where Warm River comes in to the Henry's Fork. Okay. Uh, there's a county that, boat, yeah. boat dock and parking lot and facilities all there at that place. But that stretch, okay. stretch between there, and there are no brown trout above uh, Lower Mesa Falls. Okay. It's rainbow uh, brook trout and cutthroat because Henry's Lake is a cutthroat. Uh, tributary that, that continually feeds the Henry's Fork. Okay. Okay. And and then at uh, looks like Ashton Reservoir then it flows Ashton, Ashton Reservoir is the next takeout. Actually above the reservoir there's a takeout okay. called Jump Off. Okay. It's okay. seven and a half miles, about seven and a half miles to, to the Highway twenty one. Okay. And okay. then you got about eight miles of reservoir. With right. the state record brown trout comes out of item, or out of Ashton Reservoir. Now, well, I'll talk about this later, but okay. um, I expect there's some runners coming out of that reservoir uh, in the fall, right? There's some what? Some runners, uh, some brown <laughs> yes. trout running up. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay. Um, and uh, and then is there a put in below the reservoir then? There is. It's called Aura. It's a bridge. Uh, Aura was named after, a, uh, in the olden days, when they first built the bridge, Aura was a midwife that you could get to, and they named the bridge oh. after her. Ah. And then that goes down to? Uh, Aura uh, to the Vernon Bridge. That's a four-mile stretch. Okay. Now, is that one that people float? It just yes. Sounds like a pretty quick float, huh? It's a quick float, but it's also weightable. You can park your boat and get out and wait a lot of it. So you could, could still spend the whole day there if you're stopping and waiting. Yes, sir. Kind of yeah, yeah, you can, and also it's accessible to waiters uh, at that boat ramp, and also at the Vernon boat ramp. Okay. Uh, there's a there's a parking area there. You ha- you can't fish on the river right uh, because it's all private and and the, you can park your 
vehicle there, and you can walk up to the bridge and get in and go anywhere you want to. Okay. Okay. Uh, but then you have to uh, depart the, the river. It's the same place you have to get out at, at mm -hmm. the place that you put in. Yeah. There's all kinds of waiting right there. So it sounds like there's plenty of opportunity for weight fishermen throughout the river system. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to get in there. It, yeah. It, that's the big draw with it in the lower valleys, except for the private property. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Your next access is the Chester Dam. Okay, and that's and where also, you think I put in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, there's there's a takeout above the dam and a put in just below the dam. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like a steep kind of yeah. put in there, right below the dam, straight down. That's yeah, not right. And yeah, then that takes out at the Black Bridge, uh, the fun farm, we call it, and that's the last put in until you get uh, put it down below St. Anthony. Yeah. So all the rest of that is, is private in there, and you can access it by the bridge at the mm -hmm. Del Rio, and, and that's about the only access down through that whole thing. And what do you think, uh, you know, uh, you said above, which was, uh, what was it, above Ashton? Mm -hmm. There's Browns, or no Browns? Is that what it was, uh, Ashton? No, was it? above Mesa Falls. They can't oh, get Mesa up over the falls. Okay. Yeah. They can't get up over the falls. It's a 48-foot jump, yeah. And they've never been stocked above that. It's, uh, no. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay, okay. So um, quality-wise of fishing, um, can you rate the different sections? Um, uh, you know, you never know when you're going to catch the big fish because they're there in all all the sections. Okay. And uh, the guys are averaging, you know, a, a couple of fish every day over 20 inches, and, and sometimes 24, 25-inch fish are being caught. But the norm is 16 to 13 to 16. That's about the norm. And then, of course, you always got to catch a few small ones, so. Uh, is, there any, um, is it a wild fishery at any? It is a wild section? fishery. Yes, until All you get to the reservoir, and then they plant fish in that reservoir for for people to take. You're allowed That's a different reservoir. limit. You're only allowed two fish above that, and and uh, they got to both be under 16. Which reservoir do they stock? Uh, they stock the Ashton Reservoir. Okay, but not Island Park. You know, I'm not sure whether they do Island Park anymore or not. I don't fish that still water, so I'm not sure of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. But most of the river fish you can count on being pretty much wild. Yeah, pretty much wild stuff, yeah. Yeah, cool, cool, good. Okay, um, let me take a quick break here, Doug, and we'll be right back, and um, and we'll talk more about the, the Henry's Fork. Uh, All right, so sounds hang good. Hang tight me. with me. We'll be right back. Watermaster is dedicated to providing their customers with the highest quality inflatables on the market as well as unbeatable customer service and product support. They are best known for their signature products like the Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak rafts. These rafts are lightweight, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. Watermaster rafts are everything your personal watercraft should be. They have been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of fly fishing's greatest innovators. They've said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method I have ever tried. After two and a half years of testing 15 models of kick boats, I'm convinced that the Watermaster is the ultimate personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. 
visit Watermaster today and take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to BigSkyInflatables.com. That's BigSkyInflatables.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Doug Gibson about Henry's Fork of the, the Snake River. If you'd like to ask uh, Doug a question, just go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com. Use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. Okay, uh, Doug, um, now you guide out of uh, Three Rivers. Uh, tell us a little bit about Three Rivers, and um, and then we'll tell people how to uh, find them on the website. But tell us about your experience there and what it's like to be fishing out of Three Rivers. Uh, Three Rivers was uh, uh, Lonnie's grandfather homesteaded the place, and then uh, when he passed on, it became her father's, and then... When Harry passed on and Lillian, that's Lonnie's mother, she bought the property from her siblings and she's taken over the management and run it on the property. And I have been there for 48 years this year. Uh, it's a wonderful place to borrow. It's gorgeous. It's you know, the three rivers are Robinson Creek, Warm River, and the Henry's Fork in just a short area there. Uh, everybody who stays at, at the ranch fishes Robinson Creek and Warm River and also the Henry's Fork. It's accessible right out your front door, uh, Warm River and uh, Robinson Creek, and it's just a wonderful place to be. We have a large tackle shop there. Uh, we have a five-star uh, kitchen. We have two chefs. Uh, meals are served in the original lodge building that was there when when her grandfather was. It was that time probably one of the first 7-Eleven stores ever. They sold pickles and chips and that kind of stuff. Also, straight across from the, from the lodge entrance, there's a fish platform there where they've been feeding fish for a long time. I'm 80 years old, and they got pictures of me feeding fish there when I was four. Oh, wow. So, so anyway... Uh, it's a Norvis endorsed lodge. It, it's fly fishing only, and uh, that's about what I can tell you. The boss there okay. is a wonder, wonderful woman to work for. Uh, we have 22 guides. 22 uh, guides, wow. She has yeah. five tackle shops. She has one in Island Park, one in Ashton, one at Warm River, one in Driggs, Idaho on the Teton, and one in Eagle, Idaho over to Boise. Wow, big operation! Yeah. Yes. So the off time, my obligation to her is 300 dozen flies every year. That's what I do when I'm not guiding. Oh, really? Okay. So, <laughs> so you are busy. You're not just uh, I, sitting in that uh, rocker yes, on sir. the front porch, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> Everybody well, goes um, south but me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Good for you to keep active, uh, and and you're still guiding. Uh, what? Uh, Two, three, four days a week? Often one, once in a while. Uh, I, I try not to do it because when you get to be my age, you have no business rowing boats with clients in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, your reflexes well, aren't yeah, like they yeah. used to be or anything. Right, right. Um, and everybody, the uh, the website is spelled out, three, uh, the word threeriversranch.com, threeriversranch.com. So, if you want to check them out and uh, and patronize them, that'd be great. And uh, and say hi to uh, Doug when you're up there. 
Yeah. So, uh, good. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Doug. I said, I said go ahead and feel free to stop in at any time. Yeah, uh, yeah. May, if you call call uh, the number there, Megan's our secretary, or Justin as Lonnie's son, and they can tell you all there is to know about the ranch and, and what's available there and everything. Now, they, you said they have a uh, fly shop there as well? They do. We do have okay. a fly shop yeah, on, on So the even premises. if they were only going to get a guide for a day or check out or buy some flies, they could do that there as well? Absolutely. And, and they can do it at any of the other uh, fly shops as well. Okay, great, great. Well, terrific. Okay, thanks for sharing yeah. that. All right, so um, so we talked about public access. Um, we talked about species. Uh, you said rainbows and cutthroats uh, above the falls and uh, below and that. There's, a, I there's also brook trout above the falls. Brook trout, too. Okay, good. Yeah, good. Every, everything above Upper Mesa Falls has brook trout as well in it. Okay. And then below the falls, um, you have still rainbows and cutthroats as well? The Rain, no, there's there's not many cutthroats below the falls. Okay. Uh, the reservoir gobbles up whatever cutthroats are in there, and, and occasionally you you may catch one, but but the the norm is rainbows and browns. Okay. Okay. And um, is there a uh, is there a better time of year for wade fishing on the Henry's Fork? Sure. After the runoff in the spring, uh, after probably the second week in June, and then things start to settle down a little bit. Uh, August and September are good wading because everything is accessible as far as to be able to wade. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't recommend it if you're going to wade that you, that you come in earlier than uh, the second week in June. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, it is damn controlled, but, but the, the thing of it is it also has the Buffalo River in, which is not damn controlled. Oh. Also, it has Worm River and Robinson Creek, which are not damn controlled. So they contribute, yeah, to the flow, yeah. Um, and then the, the lower section also from the Chester Dam, that's where Fall River comes in, and the Fall River is generally the one that... Uh, dictates what you can do in that lower section. If it's high, you you pretty much can't get in there. You know, you can okay. float it, but you can't wait it. Is there a place to get uh, accurate river flows? Um, I mean, to do, do what now? At your shop? Uh, if you want to know what the river flows are, is there uh, a place uh, to call? Bureau, Bureau Reclamation has that online. Uh, you can check okay. the river flows on all the streams in southeastern Idaho. Plus, there's maps at all the tackle shops, and and the guys have a board, uh, what the hatches are, uh, what the flows are, and and all of that. All all of the shops uh, print that board. Okay. Okay. So so, you, so when you walk in, you can tell what flies you need and and uh, what the rivers, you know, what the, what the rivers are doing. Mm -hmm. Now, after the um, after the spring runoff, uh, do the, do the flows they pretty consistent from that, that point on? Yeah, they do. Once the tributaries come down, and this year we had an exceptional snowpack, so it, it ran a little later than the second week in June, but uh, we love that anyway because all of our reservoirs are still fairly full. So yeah. uh, after that happens, why then, then things kind of settle down. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Um, 
and um, and you can all the areas we talked about floating. You can float, um, you know, after the runoff, no problem. Yes. The water doesn't get too skinny or anything. Okay. No, uh, never, never. We never have uh, not had enough water to float the Henry's Fork. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. So we covered that. Um, uh, one question was, uh, when's the best time to see the fewest people and have a reasonably yeah. good chance of catching fish? Yeah. Anymore you can forget that, but it'd be in, in October, <laughs> October and, and early May. <laughs> October um, and early May would be the least, uh, tough, yeah. uh, least busy, busy time. Henry's Fork gets a lot of, a uh, lot of, uh, people on it. Yeah. It, it, uh, it's a renowned stream and, and, the lower sections, it seemed like the more people fish them. The Herman Ranch is technical. Uh, it's flat, clear water, and it and it kind of uh, deters some people from it because the fish are tougher to catch there. So that's that's a place where uh, experienced fishermen should fish. Mm-hmm. And then okay. down below or up around Max Inn and and up in the upper stretches, while you have brook trout in there readily caught on a fly, and you also have, like I say, the cutthroat. Once in a while, you get cutthroats up there 20 inches long, so. Hmm. Okay, okay. Is there any kind of a legal uh, season on the Henry's Fork, or is it fishable all, all year round? It's fishable year-round from Warm River down, and and then the sections above, like I say, the ranch is closed till the 15th of June. And access really uh, early in the year. There's so much snow that you can't get to it. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Other than that, opening the opening is is uh, Memorial Day weekend most on most of the waters, and and then from there on till the 30th of November, and then they sh- shut some of the other places down. From Ashton downstream is open year round. Okay. And we were talking, uh, I had mentioned earlier that Ashton Reservoir, uh, or, or let's see, no, not Ashton, because uh, now there you've got the rainbows, right? So out of Ashton, do you have any uh, rainbows? Yeah, rainbows and browns. Oh, in Ashton? Okay, okay. In the Ashton Reservoir, there's rainbows and browns and, and occasionally brook trout also in there. Uh, there's some feeder streams, Rattlesnake Canyon, Rattlesnake Creek comes in. It has brook trout in it, so there are now, some. Do you get uh, a nice spawning run then out of the, the browns in the fall out of Ashton? You we do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they go clear on up and clear up Warm River. Okay, okay. So that's a good thing to, uh, is that a popular time for people, I assume? Yeah, some, 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 it's, it's mostly streamer stuff that time of year. Yeah. Robinson Creek also feeds in there, but Robinson Creek gets fished every, almost every day, so I don't know why people want to go in there and fish because it is a tough piece of water because everybody's doing it. Uh-huh. All the guests, all the guests that stay at our ranch fish Robinson Creek, you know. <laughs> and you're scratching your head, huh? <laughs> yeah, so why would you want to make the walk upstream in that thing to fish it? You know, I mean, it gets pounded good. So, huh. so you take your, your your people to other places to catch fish. <laughs> we <fun>. do. <laughs> yeah, but in the evening, they don't have nothing to do but fish that creek. So. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And um, so what time of year do the browns run there? Is 
Uh, usually uh, September, some, October, or what? it's it's October, and we shut down the fifteenth of October, so it's it's in the last part of October. Okay. Uh, okay. The same okay. time as they run on the main snake is about the same time. Okay. Okay. On the South Fork. Um, what equipment do you recommend for the Henry's Fork? You know, like weight rod. Line, uh, it depends on your capability. Uh, we we generally suggest a five weight rod, floating line. Even even though you we fish uh, quite a few streamers, still a floating line is the best because you're not have you don't have any real deep water on the Henry's Fork. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, South Fork's a different story than you want to beef up to a six weight, but. But on the Henry's work is, you know, a five weight seems to accommodate anything we have to offer. Okay, okay. And what about your, what are your standard leader and tippet setups? Um, are you using? Uh, we generally use, uh, depends on the people and where you're fishing. Like in the railroad ranch, you gotta go 6X or you or just will stay home. Uh, the normal tippet we normally use is 4X, 9 foot. Or 3x if we're using the hopper dropper, and then we go from three to four on the, on the dropper. Mm -hmm. uh, that's about it, you know. It, now, do uh, you do more hopper dropper rigs and uh, suspension rigs, or, or uh, contact nymphing is is big nowadays? Do you? Yeah, well, we we do some of that, and that that's uh, an individual thing. We don't use barbers or any of that stuff. We we uh, are a technical outfit. We use dry flies or else, you know, hopper or dropper. Our bobber has a hook in it. Oh, okay, okay. So, it, so it no other matter. suspension devices, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of it, and you use a lot of uh, jig nymphs, uh, so uh -huh. they so they do ride that correct. We don't do much swinging with nymphs. Uh, Mostly, if we're doing that, we're we're pulling streamers, stripping streamers. Okay. 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 So we, um, tr we try to do as much dry fly fishing as we possibly can, but sometimes that doesn't work. So then you're down in oh. whitefish country. So <laughs> whitefish country is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> down down there, yeah, yeah. That, I, that to me I, is the best eating fish in the whole river. Oh, I. You know, I remember one year we were, there seemed to be a whitefish bloom or something on the bighorn. And, uh, you know, we, we're, we're letting all the, the rainbows and browns go. And I say, throw those whitefish in the cooler. Yeah. Because <laughs> I take them home and smoke them. Oh, <laughs> no. I love smoked whitefish. Uh, yeah. skin, them and, skin them and put them in one of those black uh, ovens. Them black pots that will do that Dutch oven is unreal for whitefish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody thinks, oh, whitefish. I, I see, I see a meal there. Yeah, <laughs> like you do. <laughs> there's me and so, about uh, there's me and about seven of my buddies. We eat a lot of whitefish in the wintertime. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me uh, let me take a quick break again, and we'll come back and talk about some flies and some okay. presentation strategies and that kind of thing. So uh, hang tight. I'll be right back. All right. Will do. Looking for that shop at a permit? Whipray Key Fishing Lodge in Belize is where you want to be. When you stay at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, you're on a private island and are only minutes away from some of the finest permit fishing in Belize. Whipray Key is just a 30-minute boat ride from Placencia. 
Once you're there, you'll be fishing Permian Alley, one of Belize's best fisheries, and you won't be taking long boat rides to get started. You'll fish with world-class guides like Daniel Cabral, whose family has fished the area for over 30 years. Want to switch it up and fish for tarpon and bonefish and make it a grand slam? They can make it happen at Whitbray Key Fishing Lodge. Book your next adventure now. Visit WhitbrayKeyFishingLodge.com. That's Whitbray, C-A-Y-E, FishingLodge.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Doug Gibson about the Henry Swart. If you'd like to ask Doug a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And let me, uh, let's see here. Uh, okay, this uh, interesting um, question came in from Phil uh, McCartney in uh, California, Kentucky. He says, what are some surprises you have experienced as a guide have you had days that started badly for one reason or another and that ended it really well because of what you or the people you fished with learned and experienced? Any stories sure, you always, to tell? <laughs> yeah, sure. You always get that kind of stuff, you know. And then a guy will come along with a, a new pattern, a new fly, and, and we we tend to, after we eat a little crow, we do, we tend to let people use whatever flies they have, and, and we have learned a lot of lessons by doing that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, some people have have a fly that works, you know. Yeah, interesting, yeah. Yeah, I know guides are like that. It's like, do you want to use that? Well, I know this other one works that <laughs> I have. Yeah. But why would you want to use one that you don't know that's yeah. going to work? But yeah, well, you, just... you need to learn from your clients. Yeah. The clients have taught me the birds and the flowers and everything there, Um uh, by asking questions, there's no such thing as a dumb question. I may give you a dumb answer, but you, you need to ask always if you, that's how you learn. Yeah. And, and through that, I have learned the, uh, birds, the flowers, the whole work. So, uh, thanks to my client. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Now, do you remember a particular stellar day on the Henry's Fork in all the years that you were there, one that stands out more than any others? Yes. I had a gentleman by the name of Claude Hobbs. He was a assistant to Gerald Ford, the president. We got on the river one day. It was raining, kind of just a sprinkled light rain, and it stayed that way all day, and the green drakes were hatching. And I put in on a seven-and-a-half-mile float, and the man had a fish on the entire float. Wow. On catching, big, catch big one green turn drake, loose huh? you know, on the green drake. Dry flies, right? Dry flies. Any more of the super hatches or if if you want to not be where people are, then don't come during the super hatches because there are a lot of people. Yeah, Henry yeah. Sport gets a lot of stuff out of Montana and Wyoming because their waters are still muddy. Uh, uh. They're... They're not fishable, so we get a lot of people from both of those states. Mm, and and they're, it's 60 miles to Wyoming, and it's 65 miles to Montana, so you know how many people we get in here. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's so many places, both <laughs> in Wyoming and Montana, that are good to fish, though. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, the, the, yeah. when they're blown out, you know, you, you yeah. the Yellowstone and, and the Bighorn and all of that, you know, it's. That yep. time of year, why you you don't have the access to them? Yep. Same way yep. with the Snake yep. River and and the uh, uh, 
some of the waters in in Wyoming, you know, the Hoback River and the Gray River, Salton, or all, all of those feed uh, Palisades Reservoir, and, and, and they're just high, you know. Yeah, yeah. The um, okay, let's talk about let's talk about flies uh, and the hatches okay. that you have on that river. You just mentioned the green drake. So, uh, when does that green drake hatch happen during the year? Is that a, a fall that's hatch? A, that's a mid June hatch. Mid June. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And what other hatches uh, are prominent on the river? Well, it starts in the spring with betas. Mm-hmm. which is a blue-wing olive, an 18. And then it graduates from betas to caddis. Uh, it goes from the caddis to the PMD, pale morning domes. Uh, then you start seeing a few flavolania, uh, March browns come in that, in that same time. And then the salmon fly, and then a golden golden stonefly, and then after those hatches, you're you're starting to get in into the first part of uh, July. So the main hatch we have there throughout all of that is a gray drake. It's a spinner. Uh, we also have the brown drake. Wow! And uh, we have yellow sallies that come in later in the year. And caddis throughout that that whole uh, time, from the time the caddis hatch, they're they're there and they're they're different colored caddis and different size, but they're all still there. Mm-hmm. And then in the fall of the year, we start picking up trico. Right. Uh, again. Yeah, it's trichorthodes. It's a little black fly with a white wing. Right. Right. And pseudocleon, which is which is also a size 24 PMD. Uh, those two patterns will drive you nuts. Uh, they're small, and, and uh, uh, the fish feed them good. But uh, we also uh, we have also have several different small stoneflies that hatch on the South Fork and the and the Henry's Fork. Then you get into hoppers. Uh, hopper fishing on the Henry's Fork is awesome when the banks burn up and, and get dry. Uh, we do a lot of beetles and ants. Uh, we have a flying ant or a termite and a black ant. And uh, we have places on the Henry's Fork where the potato beetle gets blown into the water, and it's a pretty good-sized beetle. Uh, we fish a black beetle all through the whole system. It's a size 14 foam, foam beetle and ladybug. Uh, ladybugs, in the fall of the year, the foam lines start. On the rivers, and and the ladybugs are are in that foam line, and spinners, uh, rusty spinners are are a big uh, pattern on all of our streams in the fall of the year, and after the betas hatch in the spring as well. But do you get a betas in the fall as well when it starts to we cool do. down again? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It'll start after the first freeze in September. Most okay. of the blue wing olives are really, the hatches are the best when the weather is the most miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why blue wings like that, but if it gets cold and miserable and windy and rainy and they... I've seen that, you know, yeah. where where the weather's kind of good and then it clouds <clears throat> over and it starts snowing 
and then yeah. boom. <laughs> Action optimum <on>. condition, yeah. <laughs> yeah, optimum condition. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, go figure, huh? Yeah. Uh, well, maybe they got their wires crossed somewhere along the line. Yeah. Evolutionary. <laughs> yeah. The Henry uh, Fork. The Henry Fork is noted for its insect life. It, it, these hatches I've, I'm talking to you will sometimes blanket the river. Wow. So wow. Uh, yeah, it is a very prolific stream. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is always a question that comes up in our interviews, but uh, what are your top flies that you have in your box that you don't leave home without? Well, uh, I, have a, year it is. I have a pretty good variety, but, but I use an Adams as the first one that's in there. It's a 16 Adams. Mm-hmm. El Caracatus. Uh, yeah, I use a light variant, a CDC PMD, and a CDC Caddis as well, and a Renegade. That's an old pattern, too. Yeah, yeah I use Renegade for some Huh? Pardon? I use oh, Renegade, Elkir, Caddis, Adams. Those are those are go-to flies no matter what, right? Yeah, the CDC Caddis is just tied different with it with without the Elkir and and uh, CDC PMD is also. Yeah. Okay. I have my own way of tying dry flies, and I tie them all the same same way. It's it's tail, body, hackle, wing. That's that's nothing there to, according to oil, and I turn them over and cut the bottom of them flat. On all your dry flies? On all of my dry flies, yes. So so you have better luck with them floating or flushing I do, the surface. I do a CDC wing, and and I wind hackle uh, at least six wraps of hackle, and then I clip it on the bottom. Clip it. I not I don't do like a, a narrow clip like a, a just a snip. I cut them flat. Really flat, yeah, yeah. Even even with the hook point. Yeah, so, yeah. And every every time they land, they land upright. Huh. That's good to know. I know people do that periodically, but I've never talked to anybody that does that. You know. On all the flies I tie, they're that, that's the way they are, all the dry that's flies I tie, yeah. yeah. And you do that not on the river, but before they leave I the do, bench. <laughs> I do it at the fly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, no barbs and less hackle. Yeah. Is there um, is there a favorite dry fly you have? Um, I think overall the Adams will work or the or the light variant. We we have a, I have a light variant that that is awesome fly as well. Uh, is um, your Adams you use parachute Adams or just a straight? straight uh, you can parachute it or whatever. I use just a standard Adams with a upright wing, okay. and the or the light variant we use is just a blown Adams. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Um, what about a nymph? I see all all, all those I, favorite flies you gave me are dry flies. I noticed. <laughs> yeah, I use I use two nymphs only. I use a Prince nymph. In, in different sizes, and I use a pheasant tail flashback as my tie on the pheasant tail nymph, and that's the only two I even use. So I use stonefly uh, nymphs and that kind of stuff. But yeah, flashback to use beads. 
It's it's just tied a regular pheasant tail with a peacock thorax and a, and a crystal flash or, or a flash of blue over wing for the wing case. So so it doesn't sound like you're using uh, too much weight in the flies. So you're weighting your your leader. I I use an oversized bead on all the patterns. Oh, you do use an oversized bead. Okay. Yeah, brass. I use a brass bead oversized on all the patterns on all the bead uh, pheasant tails. Okay, and do you. Um, you don't have any use for tungsten on Henry's fork. Tungsten on the Henry's fork gets down too quick, and and there's a lot of uh, growth after the uh, uh, it warms up. Yeah, that's that's why there's so many in, so much insect life in there. It does have a lot of uh, vegetation. So right now it's been hot. We've had super hot weather, and the vegetation is up really good in there now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we know how that is. Um, yeah, but also uh, it allows you to sneak up on the fish too from behind. So you you know you can gives you a little cover, huh? Yeah. 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 So what about searching patterns? Uh, the same ones that we just talked about. Those are your searching patterns. I mean, a lot of those yeah. are searching patterns. They're not really uh, uh, imitative patterns. Yeah. Well, they work the whole time year round. All of those. Uh, that stuff is in in the water all the time. The nymphs of different sizes, and I tie it all yeah. the way from an 18 to a 10. So mm -hmm. uh, I use stonefly nymphs too quite a bit, and because they're also in the water and various sizes of those too, depending upon the year, time of year. What kind of uh, stonefly nymphs do you use? Uh, Montana forktail and and uh, just a regular stone uh, chenille stonefly nymphs, and and I use one that's made out of rabbit. Uh, you know, just bump them along the bottom. If you're fishing nymphs, well, then you lose quite a few nymphs if you're doing them correctly. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And what about uh, are there other? What about streamers? Streamers. I I'm a Clouser person. I I Clouser. learned from Bob Clouser, and and uh, I use some rabbit. I have three rabbit streamers that I use also with crosscut rabbit and and uh, straight rabbit like zonkers and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Clouser chartreuse, or? Clouser, I don't do chartreuse. I have a ranch clouser that I devised myself, and, and oh. uh, I use olive and white and a rainbow clouser as well beside the ranch clouser. And a black one, too, so. And um, what about other food sources in the... Uh, Henry's Fork, uh, do you have crayfish, shrimp, any sculpins, those kind of things? There, there are sculpins and shrimp in, in, in it all, all through it, and, and the crayfish is not uh, not really prolific in that. It's in, it's in Warm River and, and Robinson Creek. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some in there. In the upper stretches uh, from Sheep Falls down through the falls system, there's a lot of crayfish in there, but other than that, why not too many? Mm-hmm. But shrimp or scuds all the way through? Pretty much, yeah. In, in, in any any time there's a piece of slow water, then scuds move in over it. Yeah. It's not as prolific for scuds like if you were fishing a big horn or somewhere like that. Okay. But they okay. Do yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to ask you. Yeah. 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 Um, how do you? Uh, so are, so, given what you've told me, you don't carry that many varieties of flies with you on the river, right? I have a box of dry flies and a box of nymphs, yeah. And that's it? Yeah. 
That's all you need. That's all you need. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, with all the flies that are out there nowadays, you know, it's the reason I laugh is because, you know, I, I guess we wonder what we do to ourselves sometimes, you know, by overcomplicating things, you know. Yeah, well, and, we, um, we have probably... On, on site at Worm, Worm, between Worm River and, and Driggs and Ashton and Island Park, we probably have uh, way more than a hundred dozen flies, or a thousand dozen flies, excuse me. And there's like 20 or 30 different kinds of nymphs. Uh-huh. And the guides all have their preference, so, you know, the, you are have to do what they say. So, But I fish those two nymphs, and I don't have any problem with it. So, yeah, so this is your solution with the other 23 guides or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll have their well, own individual. And uh, then yeah. and then people that come to, you know, they have their own pattern that well, they would like, and we accommodate those patterns as well for them. So when they got them, when they go home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, yeah. good, good. Okay, let's uh, take another quick break, Doug, and uh, we'll talk, come back, talk strategies and presentation. And, um uh, All right. We'll go from there. Okay, hang tight. Okay. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration of habits like habitats like uh, Wolf Creek in Idaho, Ames <coughs> Creek in Upper Delaware, New York, and uh, funds projects that collect valuable data about fish and their habitats like uh, peacock bass, a study in Miami, Florida. Uh, FFI's core values remain unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish and to preserve and promote the art of fly fishing and casting and fly tying and to help ensure future generations so that they can enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you are not already a member, we invite you to join the Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Doug Gibson about the Henry's Fork. If you'd like to ask Doug a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately. We'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. Okay, Doug, hold on just a second here. Um, uh, I need to get to something here pretty quick, and then we'll get started again. Okay, so... um. Okay, let's uh, – a question that came in and says, uh, some say that the, the fish in the Henry's Fork are very picky and hard to fool. Is this true? And if so, why and what do you do to, to fool them? Well, it, it is, and that depends on what section of the Henry's Fork you're into. Like the Harriman Park is is renowned for its flat water and, and hatches. Uh when you wade that type of water, it's flat. Your wading wake moves out, and that will put fish down immediately up there. They already know that you're there before you ever cast a fly. Wow. So, so the, most of the times you need to come below the fish, 
uh, quarter cast to them. Uh, never pick your fly up until it goes beyond them. Uh, that's the technical part of the railroad ranch is is that you're waiting uh, is is just as more uh, just as important as your uh, presentation of your flies. Uh, Downriver uh, below. Uh, Warm River, or Warm River comes in, then it's not as technical there, and then, then you start to get into the reservoirs, and the reservoir fish are the, uh, equally as, as, uh, hard to cast to, because again, there's no riffle on the water, it's flat, uh, so when you make a mistake, it's very visible. Most of the time on those small reservoirs, you can't wade, so you gotta do it out of a boat. And a boat makes a wave too, so you, so that's a critical part of, Fishing anywhere on the Henry's Fork is, is you're waiting, uh, through the rapid sections and, and stuff like that where you go, uh, where you have access to, to like rapids and stuff like that. You can get away with a lot more of that than you can on, uh, the flat water sections. And there is a lot of flat water. Now on this flat water, you said, you know, you create a wake with your wading or your boat or whatever. Let's say I, you know, I'm waiting, being very careful, and I I do make a little slip and make a little wake. What is your What do you do next? Do you can you stand there and wait for ten minutes? Will the fish come back? What's your next? Step? Yeah, most of the guys will do that. They'll, they'll either sit down on the bank if they put them down. They'll sit there for a little while, and then pretty quick the fish come back. They're not so nervous about boats because a lot of boats go over them in the day, but the waiting. Uh, you got to really be careful in in some of those sections because of the waiting noise. You can't just go slushing up through there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you that the river will listen to what the river says. They'll tell you when you do it wrong. They they'll quit. They'll quit, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll and um, it's a good thing about the vegetation too because it takes that waiting that little waiting wave that you put forward. It takes that out of the question too because the moss kills it. It doesn't let it go on. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. So the waiting kind of is it. super important to be be the the uh, the heron, right? <laughs> yeah. It is uh, right. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, and um, you said you fish mainly to fish uh, upstream, uh, throwing like a reach cast to them. Uh, to yeah, well, if, if you're waiting, and, and a lot of times downstream will anchor a boat and sit do the same thing and wait for them to come and then fish down to them. But you always okay. want to let the fly go way beyond them before you pick it up, and then don't snap the water off your line over the top of where you're fishing either. Bring it you know, they get line slowly real and quick, then, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, until you get a, a, enough of it close to you so we can just lift it out without a lot of commotion. Yeah. Yeah. That's why a lot of people like to fish nymphs underneath the dry fly is because that that takes that part of it out and you know fish and people kind of don't like to fish in the weather but you know the weather really doesn't hurt the fishing unless it's really miserable uh, raining you know fish don't know it's wet so you know just put your park on and go fishing. What about uh, wind? You see that push them down the dry fly action. About what? Wind. 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 We have afternoon winds, yeah. Um, uh, what I mean is um, you see them pushing the fish down. I notice on the lake here by my house, uh, if uh, wind comes down, the, uh, they'll be rising like crazy. The wind comes yeah. down, and then they 
quit rising, the wind stops, and they're back up rising again. It'll they'll continue to rise during the wind or or, or rain weather or anything like that. Yeah, they'll they won't that won't put them down here. I won't put them down. Okay. On the reservoir, you know, down in when you get back to what we call still water, why then that a lot of times has because it puts a chop on there. You even sometimes white caps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but overall, sometimes a little chop, a little chop yeah. gives you cover too, right? Yeah, it doesn't hurt if it's just a you know a breeze. It it helps you with that, you know that. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is uh, more important, the the fly that you're using or the presentation? Uh, the presentation definitely is because if you if you've got size and color, well, then that's why I use a lot of atoms. Uh, and time time from an 18, I use a white wing atoms and an 18 and. Uh, during the beta hatch, you can see that it's different from the others, yet they'll eat it readily. So, uh, still looks like a bug, right? Yeah, it yeah. still looks like a bug. And like you say, the presentation is you can't just slap it down or you know, just stick it over there lightly and and uh, try and get it to them as float free as you possibly can. They don't. Once in a while, they eat a dragonfly, but then the people try to drag flies all day and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So and. And I think you said earlier you're using um, primarily, well, you set up at the Railroad Ranch 6X, but your other dry yeah. fly fishing in general are using 6X? You know, it's 4X, yeah. And if, you're using, if we're using a hopper dropper, we generally tie the, the hopper on the 3X and then whatever we use below that, a lighter line. You're using 4X for the dry fly fishing? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow, so they're not leader shy then? No. Mm, wow. That's incredible, yeah. I would think with all that dry fly fishing, you'd have to get down to six or seven X. <laughs> no. In the railroad ranch, in that section of the Harriman Ranch, why, yeah, yeah. Harriman State Park, why then, yeah. There. But yeah. Over, wow. overall, why, you, you don't have to be that technical. We sell more 4X, 9-foot 4X liters than anything. Right, right. Wow. Um, and when you're dry fly fishing, then on the 4X, you're... Are you just going directly to the fly, or are you tying tippet material on, or what? where do you go yeah. from there? Yeah, well, we can, after you tie a few flies on them, we can add, you know, more tippet. More 4, 4X, but, yeah. But yeah, we use a lot of Orvis Mirage lines, too. That tippet stuff sinks, so it doesn't leave a shine on the surface, and there's a lot of, a lot of other little technical things you can do by offsetting your hook, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that guides learn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, um uh, when you're wading uh, the river, how do you initially approach the river, and what is your decision-making process for, you know, well, you, what you're you going to do? You, know, you can get access. You can't go down through the trees or stuff, but there's a lot of places you can get in. I generally sit on the bank for a minute or two and see if anything's go, going on before I continue. Mm-hmm. But your clients probably want to wade right in, don't they? Well, no, not necessarily. <laughs> not with a not with a guide. We have a there's a hole in Robinson Creek that has nice fish in it, but if you walk up to that thing, you're done. You're done, yeah. Yeah, if you fish from downstream to it, and then you can catch fish. But if you walk up to the on the bank there, you're all done. You're, okay, okay. Yeah. So you that have fish, to know where that is and, <laughs> and advance. Well, yeah. yeah, well, I, I keep telling them, don't walk up there because they see and that's the end of it. They've been... Yeah. Yeah. I've been educated, you know. That's why I say I don't know why anybody wants to go up Robinson Creek fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
The railroad ranch is the same way. It has some spongy banks, and, and if you're walking up even on the bank, why you, you telegraph that you're there, and that will put fish down as well. So you just need yeah. to, you know, take your time, and you're in there for probably the whole day to fish anyway, so, you know, don't waste it by sitting on the bank waiting for fish to rise because you put them down. Yeah, yeah. What, um, when you don't see a visible hatch going on, uh, and let's say it's an overcast day, no, no, nothing tapping on the surface, what method of fishing do you, do you go to? Terrestrials most of the time, um, hunt oh. bank feeders and stuff like that. There's always ants or beetles or bugs or something, something in those home lines. And, and do you, do you hang something below that? You know, do you always? Oh, I try not to. I try not to. I fish spinners a lot and, and stuff in that in those foam lines. Try not to to do a dropper because it's a kerplunk deal, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Again, uh, yeah, disturbance. Two plunks instead of one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, you know, you just have to, and you can experiment. You know, you can put a nymph on there if you want, but I would start with a small one that doesn't make much. You know. Small beadheads, or, or uh, you know, a lot of people are, are fishing the, the bobbles and the reds and the greens, and, and uh, you know, the those type of, or, or even uh, smaller ones yet, or, or the zebra nymphs. Uh, they're they're good if you're going to fish a nymph under a small dry fly. The zebra nymphs work, seem pretty good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Rick uh, Bobrick uh, wrote in and asked, uh, he says, do you prefer to approach bank sippers from above or below? And why? Below. Below. Below, and because if you if you wade out, your weight comes down. You, you can't stop that. And so if you wade up, your your weighter wake is below you. Yeah, pushing the, the river's pushing so, below you. And then you can you always can lead the fish, you know, if if you quarter cast to them. So you don't can't cast over them. You have to quarter cast yeah. to them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Rick also asks. He says, "Can you talk a little bit about reading the rise forms? Uh, what do you think of the one and done rise from? What does that form tell us about trout? Yeah. Well, you can tell if there's if they're sipping uh, just kind of little uh, bubbles or move a lot of water, but they're not, you know, there's no splash or anything there. They're normally on spinners uh, of some sort or or small beetles or ants or something. They know that that can't get off the water. Mm-hmm. But if if they're feeding caddis or, or the green drake or some of the, some of the bigger flies, they, you can see that rise ring or as a splash. And you can also tell a whitefish because it looks like it flipped a little water upstream from the rise. Uh, so you can tell the, the difference between that rise. Uh, if you're just seeing boils, that's a subsurface. You know, you, there's a, a emergence going on there somewhere with whether it's caddis or, or mayflies or whatever. But when you're, done, um, when you're seeing more of a boil and not a mouth and just a fin, yeah. Yeah, if it's if it's splashy, they're generally eating caddis because they're busy on the surface, and so a green drake and the brown drake don't sit there very long before they're airborne, so they grab at them good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, terrestrials, you know, they don't slash at. Uh, they just, uh, sometimes it's a splashy rise on hoppers and stuff, but most of the time on ants and, and beetles, they just sip them in. They know they're not going. They can't get off the water, so they got them anyways. Yeah, yeah, easy pickings, huh? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we're about at the end of things here. Um, anything you'd like to share about the Henry's Fork and your experience? No, it's a good, it's a gorgeous place and it has some wonderful scenery and we have two floats on there that are, they're unbelievable. The Box Canyon float and the Warm River float there and, uh, the flowers and and there's a lot more. Once in a while, a guy guy said, you know, look up once in a while. Trout don't live in ugly places. If you know, right. that, that's true. You know, you 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 kind of need to take on your surroundings a little bit. And we have a lot of game too. If you're in any of our canyons, I I strongly recommend that you take bear spray with you. Other other than than the regular river, why you're pretty good. But but. Uh, those canyons uh, don't get a lot of traffic, so the bears are more susceptible to being in there. And uh, there are some there. We're only 20 miles from Yellowstone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, so yeah. Always going to be careful about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and just you know, just be smart. Don't get in. Don't go wading in stuff that you don't feel. If you don't feel like you're capable of, it, then don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, be careful. Uh, yeah. There's a Good. lot of easy places to wade. You don't have to be proven anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, hang tight with me here. Uh, we're going to finish up the show by giving away a few prizes, and I'd like to have you stick with me here, Bob, until we're okay. I mean, Doug, until we're uh, done with this. And um, uh, and I'm going to try to give away a book here and, and use you as a uh, go-to resource to make sure I get the right answer for my question. So uh, okay. hang tight here, and um, we'll finish things up. Uh, right. And when we return here, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, and uh, a book of your choice from a selection of books we have from Stackpole Books. So, um, so uh, hang tight. We'll be giving away those prizes just shortly. Right. Family Ties, that's T-Y-E-S, Family Ties is an organization which uses a shared interest in fly fishing and fly tying to enhance youth development and family relationships. They utilize resources in schools, communities, businesses, and they invite your participation. Go to their website at familyties, T-Y-E-S dot com, uh, where every fish is a trophy and every kid is a hero. Uh, just a quick reminder to everyone before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. Uh, you can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of the show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. So now it's time to give away a few prizes. Uh, our winners are randomly drawn from a, a show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for our next show because you don't want to miss out uh, on some of the great prizes we have to offer. If you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show and provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So the first thing we're giving away is a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org. You can learn about their conservation efforts, uh, their casting uh, programs and certifications, all kinds of great stuff. So whether you're fishing salt water, fresh water, warm water, um, doesn't make any difference. Uh, Fly Fishers International is in support of all of those uh, fisheries. So. so our winner for that is Joe Herndon, Joe Herndon uh, in Texas. So congratulations, Joe, and um, glad uh, glad you won that membership. And then the second thing we're giving away is a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, courtesy of uh, AmatoBooks.com. Uh, Amato Books has uh, all kinds of books on fly fishing as well as periodicals. 
So check them out at modelbooks.com. And our winner for that is Bob O'Donnell from Maryland. Bob O'Donnell. So congratulations, Bob. And uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy that subscription as well. So now what we'll do is we'll give away a um, uh, we're going to give away a book from Stackpole Books. Um, and uh, let's see, I got to come up with a question here. Um, let's see here. This is going to be maybe a little tough. Um, uh, Doug mentioned that uh, when he's using streamers, he uses a clouser. What's one of the color combinations he mentioned for his clouser uh, that uh, particular to him? So uh, one of the color combinations for the clouser that Doug uses. Now, Doug, I'm just waiting for somebody to send in an answer here. Okay. <laughs> sometimes there's a delay in the uh, broadcast, so sometimes it takes a while. We'll see if we get any winners here. And that might be too hard, but because uh, it was kind of subtle. Um, and uh, see what we get here. All right, I'm checking. I haven't gotten anything yet. Delay. Okay, we've got one in here uh, from Phil in California, Kentucky, Phil McCartney. He says black. Was that one of the color combinations? He's correct. He's correct. And the other two were, Doug, olive and white? Right? Olive and white and rainbow. And rainbow, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Have to try those out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, uh, Phil, I will uh, send you a list of, books for you to pick from, and you can pick one of those books, and I'll send it out to you. So I have your email address, and I'll do that after the show tonight. So, um, Doug, uh, just really want to thank you for being on the show tonight um, and uh, taking time out uh, of your busy schedule there, um, fishing and tying and all the things you do up there, but I do appreciate you being on the show and sharing your knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for asking me. I've been sitting oh, here yeah. watching. I've been sitting here watching a cottontail rabbit eating my cabbage. <laughs> oh, great! Well, now now you can go out and chase him away. So. <laughs> no, he's, he can have all them bottom leaves he wants. Yeah. Oh, he can. Okay, okay, all right. Well, have a great night. Thanks a lot, okay. and um, and we'll we'll go ahead and close up the show here. Our, all right, uh, great visit with you, Roger. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah. Doug. Yeah. Our yeah. next broadcast will be on um, August twenty. First, uh, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And our show will uh, be with uh, Bob Mallard. And uh, the show is going to be called uh, um, Square Tail, uh, referring to brook trout. Um, mm -hmm. Doug is a very experienced, I'm, I mean, uh, uh, Bob is very experienced with the uh, preservation and conservation of brook trout, brook trout being one of the native species to the United States that were subsequently supplanted by browns and rainbows and so forth. So on the East Coast, that's what our ancestors caught and ate uh, when they first came to the United States. So uh, Bob's going to brief us on uh, the, the square tails and uh, how they're faring, conservation efforts, and, and how to fish for them as well. So um, stick with us next time around and uh, see what uh, 
what Bob has to offer. So um, we'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Backbow Books, Wipray Key Fishing Lodge, Baja Fly Fishing, and Watermaster for sponsoring our show tonight. And don't forget to visit our website, askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing. Welcome.